comparing one church against another church because God does not do that in that sense. And, um, but then I was overwhelmed with emotion as I remembered when I made a decision many, many years ago in the 1993, I believe it was, to join the Assemblies of God. When I was at a missions banquet there in southwest Little Rock and a missionary to India who worked faithfully on the streets of Calcutta amongst the poorest of the poor, rescuing children um, off of the streets of India. And on that night when I didn't, I no longer saw denominationalism. I no longer saw a sign on a building. I saw the faithfulness of people who would work diligently for the cause of Christ. My heart was warmed and I was overwhelmed with emotion and I knew that God was calling me into the assemblies of God. And uh, from that time till this, there's a lot of changes going on in the body of Christ and nationally. There's a lot of changes and anything that's living changes. Come on. And so all change is not necessarily a bad thing. We're for a lot of changes, but some cultural drifts are not necessarily good, and some of those are embraced by the mainstream church. And uh, the Assemblies of God has had a little bit of change from within, but one of the things that has remained true is the belief in the 16 fundamental truths. And those 16 fundamental truths are also echoed in what's known as the cardinal truths of the Assemblies of God, four cardinal truths. And I I took them out of their normal order, but I began by preaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that I speak with other tongues. In my private devotion, I don't necessarily give messages in tongues and interpret them publicly. But in my private devotion, Paul said that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. No man understandeth him in in the spirit he speaks mysteries. And I'm edified through that. And I believe that it's something that we have to give attention to. We want all of our, 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 our church family to know it's available. God has it if we'll just trust him for it. And we can't be ashamed of this. And we, we, we must embrace it. And then we also uh, looked at this great covenant that God's given us that included healing. That we believe that Christ died on the cross to not only carry our sins but also our sicknesses. Amen. Right? That by his stripes we are healed. Yeah. And that there's healing in the atonement. That's what the fundamental truth says. As we believe God for it. It doesn't just happen. We have to trust the Lord for it. Amen. Right? And then last week, I preached about the blood of Jesus in the context of salvation. Because salvation comes only through faith in Jesus' shed blood. It's not through works or human effort or religious you know, uh, you know, involvement at all. It's all through the simple faith that Jesus died on the cross so that you could have eternal life. Correct? And so even though it was a Christmas message, we focused our attention on the blood of Jesus. And the fourth of those fundamental truths, and we're going to, there's not the fundamental truths, but of of the cardinal truths is concerning the return of Christ. And we'll look at those fundamental truths briefly. Here's our text, though. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's four verses of Scripture. The 23rd verse, it says, For I have received of the Lord... That which I also delivered, which also I delivered unto you. Paul writing that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. 
These are the familiar passages that we read concerning communion, to which I'll allude to these same passages at the end of the service. But the 25th verse, again, we focused our attention some on this last week. And after the same manner, he also took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But notice this, 26th verse, For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Last three words, till he come. Till he comes. And that's the subject matter that we're going to deal with today. Till he comes. Till he comes. I believe that Jesus Christ will return to this earth physically. What that will look like, I cannot describe for you exactly in accurate detail. But the scripture does say, that the angel said to the apostles as they were gazing from the Mount of Olives as he was taken into heaven, that they said these words, that this same Jesus, as you have seen him go, he will come again. Come on, somebody. Amen. And the scripture says that now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's been 2,000 years since he ascended off of that mountain. I cannot predict to you a date nor a time. Matter of fact, Jesus said it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. But the only thing I can promise you is he's true to his word. If he said he was coming back, he will return to this earth. And what our, uh, Come on, so that's a great place to clap. Amen. Notice the word till. What are we to do and who are we to be? Till he comes. That's our attention today. Father, bless this time in the word. I am so excited to share about this subject matter today. May you bless the preaching of the word of God. And as I have prayed so often, Father, let preaching come easy in this house. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for your reverence for the Word of God. We'll have a few additional passages of Scripture. We do like to reference them on the screen because that seems to help you. Let me make a few statements here real quickly in this context. One of the most universal yet divisive doctrines in the Scripture does involve the return of Christ. It's universal in the sense that most believe in the Christian community in Jesus' actual physical return, but the circumstances that surround it and then the consequences of it vary theologically across the board. When you think about the many different denominations and the particular angles that we have on our, um, our interpretation of Scripture and we're sometimes not on the same page theologically, we're not on the same page concerning this subject matter now many associate jesus's return with what's known as a seven-year tribulation period now this is elementary here today i'm not going into any details concerning the theological uh you know differences but just for a brief moment some associate his return as you know with a seven-year tribulation period that involves the deception of one individual that is um, uh, known oftentimes as the Antichrist and or is a world leader. There are also massive upheavals in the economies. There are plagues and wars and destructions 
And, and so a lot of people teach his return is somehow associated with this seven-year, what's known as the tribulation period. And many teach, and most in the assemblies of God, not all, but most have a belief that it's called what's known as a pre-tribulation rapture. I know you're, many of you are familiar with that doctrine. It's not a word found in the King James Version of the Bible, but it is a translation of a Greek word, harpazo, that is taken out of 1 Thessalonians 4 when it means catching away, the catching away of the saints and believe that the church would be raptured away. God would deal with the world and especially with the Jewish people for seven years and then it would be followed by the actual physical return of Christ on the earth. Now, oddly enough, some believe in what's known as a mid-tribulation rapture and many believe in what's known as a post-tribulation rapture and that is that the church does go through this series of tribulations and survives it and ultimately meets Christ on the other side. Now, oddly enough, what you've not heard a lot about, but there are entirely uh, different schools of thought that don't even teach a tribulation period or a seven-year tribulation, but rather that tribulation is age-long, but it will increase. The potential of tribulation increases as the age comes to a close. Let me give you an example of this. John 16 and 33, Jesus said these words, in this world you shall have tribulation. Tribulation has been a part of being a child of God from the beginning. We have been persecuted because of our faith. And perhaps we will see a season of increased persecution and some are already going through it. So for many theologically, they don't see a seven-year tribulation period, rather an age-long tribulation. Now some, oddly enough, teach a spiritual return. That there's not actually a physical return of Christ, but that he returns spiritually for each one of us at our death. And while we do believe in that, I do believe that the Lord comes for us at our passing into eternity, then that doesn't take away our belief in his actual physical return. Come on, somebody. So the subject, listen very carefully, the subject is familiar to many, yet not understood by most. And I wrote it this way. It's, much of our doctrines are theological speculations. And should not be taught or should be taught with some measure of uncertainty. That's my belief. I believe that there should be some measure of uncertainty woven into our theology. Now, let me share with you the stated beliefs of the assemblies of God. And they, again, we're focusing on what's known as the cardinal truth. And this is the physical return of Christ. And that takes the quick skimming over of the final four fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. And we're going to post some of those bullet points on the screen and just look at them. And just, just so you'll be aware of say, what does the assemblies of God as a whole? And I'll show you some variations from within this as well. So we'll be very doctrinal for just a little while not entirely today some of what i'll be preaching will be very evangelistic but we'll establish a little bit of a precedence it says here that the blessed hope that there is a resurrection of those that have fallen asleep in christ and we believe in a physical resurrection not just a spiritual resurrection that that out of the dust of the ground god will cause he, he made us from the dust of the ground the first time and he will remake us we will have a body made like unto jesus's resurrected body and we believe that. And it says here, and that their translation together with those who are alive and remain. 
unto the coming of the Lord is the imminent and blessed hope of the church. And we'll talk more about that word imminent, but we believe in a literal physical resurrection of those who have uh, sleep in Christ. Number 14, real quickly, again, fundamental truths. I shared with you as I started this series that, uh, that oftentimes people don't necessarily uh, join a church because of their theological beliefs. But my personal encouragement to you is, because we have so much false doctrine in the body of Christ today and practices that are being embraced by many in the Christian community, I really wouldn't want to just join a church without knowing what the core beliefs are. I want to know. I want to know who am I. JoJo had us hold. I want to know who I'm holding hands with. That's just me. The millennial reign of Christ. The second coming of Christ includes the rapture. There's that word, the rapture of the saints, which is our blessed hope, followed by the visible return of Christ with his saints to reign on earth for 1,000 years. Notice that there's no mention of the seven-year tribulation period because not everybody holds to it, but it is, it's, it's in the context. That's why it's broad. It's loosely focused on broadly. Now, but it is a belief in a millennial reign of Christ, which I'll allude to that, I think, in a moment. I don't want to get too uh, uh, far ahead of myself, but let's read down real quickly, number 15, for just a moment, but we'll summarize these. The final judgment. We believe there'll be a final judgment in which the wicked dead will be raised and judged according to their works. You know, the Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so we don't believe in reincarnation. God gives you one opportunity and that's why you need to, you know, take heed when you hear the message of the gospel. You may never give it another opportunity before you have to stand before God. Come on, somebody. I'm not trying to scare you today. I'm just being honest with you. Then you need to know and make your calling and election sure. Whoever is not found written in the book of life, together with the devil and his angels, the beast and the false prophet, will be consigned to everlasting punishment in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In essence, we believe in a literal hell fire where ungodly and unrighteous men, because they have rejected the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, will be cast along with, as mentioned, the devil and his angels. Now, here's the revelation concerning this, that we know that, de- that hell was not created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. But hell has enlarged herself because of mankind's rebellion. But you don't have to go to hell today. There's not a single one living today that has to go to hell. God has made a way. Through Christ, God has made a way. Lastly, number 16, in that we believe in a new heaven and a new earth according to his promise wherein will dwell righteousness when God will recreate everything and that we will live in an eternal state of God's glory and bliss. Amen? And so we believe in this certain uh, actual physical return of Christ. And, and this, so you just saw very quickly, it's a summary of those final four fundamental truths. And what we believe, in, now most in the assemblies of God believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, but uh, that, that, re- that results in the actual physical resurrection of the saints. And then uh, all almost exclusively believe in what's known as this millennial reign of Christ as the king of kings, not only reigning from Jerusalem, but reigning over the entire earth. The Bible says he'll rule the nations with a a rod of iron and we are looking forward to a day of thousand year peace on the earth when the bible says that the lion and the lamb will lay down together and that a young child will pl- 
display over the whole of an asp. Come on, somebody. The wolf and the lamb actually as well will lie down together, a time of universal peace. And I know this is the Christmas season, and it says peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And we know the world since Cain slew Abel has always been in conflict. But there will come a day when men will be forced to lay down their swords and their shields and their uh, military weapons, and Christ will rule and reign. And there will be a moment or a season of universal peace on this earth. And I say, even so, as John the Revelator closed the book of Revelation, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and bring your peace to this war-torn planet. Now, within these doctrinal statements are many variations. Assembly of God ministers, as I have taught you in the past, may respectfully disagree with others' certain viewpoints as long as we avoid teaching in the context of eschatology, which is the study of end times or end time things, as long as we avoid these two subject matters. Number one, that we do not teach that the church is going through a seven-year tribulation period. And the reason why is because many have a tendency to respond in fear and therefore we get, we, we get little sects or cults of people going out into the woods and into caves and small communities, uh, you know, storing up things to survive the seven-year tribulation period. And I don't know if God intended for us to be hiding in the wilderness somewhere. God intended it for us to be salt and light, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Come on, somebody, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our works, our good works, and give glory to our Father is in heaven. And so we are unashamed to, to, to uh, share the, the, his return, and we don't have to hide in the woods. And, but what, what we are required to believe in in order to be a part of the Assemblies of God ministry is the imminent return of Christ. What does that mean? Whether or not it, you teach the exact rapture and the, and the return exactly exclusively as what most do, that's not the issue. The issue is the imminent, the imminent, the imminent return of Christ. That means at any moment, at any time, day or night, during a time of feast or famine, during the time of war or peace, he could come. The reality is today, before I ask Daryl to come back to the platform, before our ushers come forward and bring you communion, before I get to the fourth point of my sermon, a trumpet could sound and heaven could open and Christ could appear. Come on, somebody. And the end, God will have consummated all things in Christ Jesus. And so that is our belief in the end imminent return of Christ. We don't have to have any other movement in Europe. We don't have to have any other thing appear. We don't have to have Israel move from here or there. All we have to have is the heavens part and the revelation of his, of his son, the imminent return of Christ. And I believe concerning Jesus' words, remember this, therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not, I remember a message by R.W. Shambaugh years ago when he brought a stunned silence to the crowd when he said, I will tell you when the Lord is coming back. I know people tell you not to set dates and times. Don't put it on the calendar. Don't. He said, but I will tell you when the Lord is coming back. He's coming at an hour when you think not. That's what Jesus said because God wants us to live with an expectation of uncertainty that I don't know. And so therefore, I must live my life in response to that uncertainty. So today, my thoughts, today my thoughts are not towards the means and the methods or the events associated with his coming. But here's my word for you today. How should we live in relation to his coming? 
Remember the apostles' words, till he comes. There's an expectation upon us and upon every generation, every generation that would break the bread of communion, that would break the broken body and share in the cup, that our lives would conform to certain expectations. What? Till he comes. The most consistent word used by Jesus in the context of his return. When you study the Gospels, the most consistent word, whether applied to the judgment of the Jews in 70 AD involving the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple and all of the worship and the means of worship through the Old Testament mosaic system, or whether it was in response to his actual physical return. There is a singular word that Jesus used in almost all of his teaching related to his physical return. And here's what it is. Watch. Watch. Even saying it like this. Watch and be sober. And be sober is more than just not drunk. But be spiritually vigilant. Be awake. He said this. Watch ye therefore. Uh, Mark records these words. He said, what I say unto you, I say unto all. So he wasn't just talking to those Jews that were around him that day when he taught on the Mount of Olives. He said, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Watch. You say, what does watch mean in that context? It is defined as to keep awake. I'm telling you, you can fall asleep spiritually. And I'm not just talking about a sermon that's kind of boring sometimes. It's what you occasionally hear at First Assembly of God in dimmed lights that cause you to nod. I'm talking about a spiritual lethargicness that can sweep over you or slumbering until a person that used to be vibrant in their faith is now slothful. Come on, somebody. And they're not serving God with the same zeal and passion that they once used to. Come on. And so we have to challenge ourselves. We're exhorted to keep awake. We're exhorted to give strict attention to that's what it means to watch that I've got to give strict attention to see when I was in the military I can remember uh, I didn't have to do it often but occasionally I had to stand watch occasionally it was almost like a century even in basic training I'm sure my son is going through it right now and it didn't matter when your time came if it was at two o'clock in the morning then somebody would wake you up you would get up you would put your uniform on and you might have to stand at the door and you would watch and you couldn't nod and sleep you couldn't be on your phone you couldn't be watching television you had to be diligent you had to be alert because you were being trained that an enemy might come are y'all hearing what I'm saying and you got to be ready there's a sense of preparedness that we need in the church and we don't seem to have it we're lost our we've lost our sense of urgency come on church family i'm preaching better than you are shouting today we've lost our sense of urgency we need to awaken from this slothfulness that is succumb that many are succumbing to in the church today he said uh, that we need to take heed this is defining the word watch take heed lest through remission and laziness some destructive calamity can suddenly overtake you to be vigilant to be vigilant what this invokes, it invokes a belief that failure to watch could result. It could result in being caught unaware to his return and the potential recompense to having drifted from that previously safe position. We need to watch. Three, thing, three things before I close today. Three texts. 
or actually four texts, just a few verses. But I want to just quickly drop down in your spirit the words of the three most prominent apostles in the New Testament era as they wrote to the church concerning the Lord's return and the response of the church till he comes. How should we yet live? What do we do? How do we function? What type of attitude do we have till he comes? And these three prominent apostles in this order will be the apostle Paul, and it will be the Apostle Peter, and it will be the Apostle John. And I'm going to post two passages of Scripture on the screen from the Apostle Paul in his pen as he writes in the epistle to the church at Thessalonica first. And we're going to read these today just real quickly. And this is till he comes in 1 Thessalonians 5. You could go ahead and post that if you would. It says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do. That means that there are others that are spiritually asleep today. That means that they look like Christians occasionally at times and they profess to be Christians uh, but they're not spiritually awake they have succumbed to the lethargicness of the age and they have lost their vitality and their vigilance but he said let us watch and be sober let's go further seventh verse for they that sleep sleep in the night they that be drunken are drunk in the night but you are not of, he said, but let us who are of the day, but you're not of the night, you are of the day, so be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Let's read on further. It says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. As we continue, he said, who died for us, that whether we are awake, meaning in this situation, uh, whether we are awake or whether we sleep in death, physical death, we will live together with him at that moment 11th verse wherefore comfort ye yourselves together and edify one another even as you also do the apostle said we have not been appointed unto wrath we've been appointed unto salvation and there is a tendency to give prey to the slothfulness that many even as others are you get pulled into their spiritual their spiritual slothfulness and you got to guard yourself you got to guard yourself. You got to, spiritually speaking, you got to awaken from sleep and wipe the sand out of your eyes and say, God, let me be vigilant. Let me live my life with the expectation that your return is nigh and let my life be conformable to your will. Now, the apostle picked up this familiar theme in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. And I want to allude to three or four verses very quickly. This says that knowing the time, that now, I love this, this will preach in every generation. This this ought to preach in a Presbyterian church, a Baptist church, or even a Catholic church, that now it is high time. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. If it was high time to awaken out of sleep, it's high time in our dispensation, in our generation to awaken out of sleep. For what? Our salvation is nearer than we believe. It's nearer now than when Paul penned these words in a jail cell writing to the Roman believers. And he said, I want you to know that the time is drawing near. The time is certainly, I don't know when it will be, but I'm to live my life with the expectation that it is even nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What are we to do? It's time to cast off the works of darkness. It's time to live life a little bit differently. It's time to stop, and we used to say it in the, in the and I'm, I'm pretty young to be saying this, the old Pentecostal church, but they used to say it like this. It's time to stop looking like the world, acting like the world, and talking like the world. It's time to be distinctly different because we are casting off the old man, the works of darkness, and we're putting on an armor of light. 
We're surrounded by his light. We are lighting the darkness. You are the light of the earth. Jesus was the light of the world as long as he was in it. But after he was taken out, he said, you are the light of the earth. You are that city set on a hill. You've got to be armed with the armor of light because there's darkness all around. 13th verse. So what are we going to do? We're going to walk honestly as in the day, not in riotiness, or rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. Let me talk about that for just a moment. I'll tell you, you know what? There is something crazy going on in America today. There is a party spirit. If there is such a thing as a, as a devil in that sense, I'm telling you, there is a party spirit that is going on in America today, and even Christians are losing themselves and losing in their minds to all of this right look at these words rioting and drunkenness and i'm all for celebration and i'm not against entertainment but i tell you what i don't want to be putting anything inside of me that will adjust my character that will cause me to lose my judgment are you hearing what i'm saying i don't care how many sports uh, stars try to sell me this particular drink when i'm watching the football game i can enjoy the football game without putting that are y'all hearing what i'm saying i'm preaching a lot better than y'all shouting today because I'm seeing it in our young adults. I'm seeing it in our adults. We've got the spirit of party on us and even drunkenness. And I'm telling you what, it is dulling our spiritual senses. It's time to put it away. It's time to be sober, to be vigilant. It's time to say, you know what? I put away drinking that stuff because I drink new wine today. I don't have to put that in my body to get joy. My joy comes from the Lord. Are y'all hearing me today? I didn't mean to beat you up today. I I'm just telling the truth. It's dulling you spiritually. It's dulling your senses. And there is a spirit that is penetrating even the church. Come on. Man, days gone by when people came to the Lord, they laid those things down. Now we live in the culture where we want to carry as much as we can and still be called saved. I don't want to play games like that. I don't want my, I don't want my salvation hanging in the moment where I might put something in my body that alters my judgment and I, and I find myself doing something. Come on now. And I'm not preaching this. Paul wrote it. I'm not very theologically astute, but Paul was. And Paul said, I'm challenging in the context of his return. Don't get caught up. Don't get caught up. Children, let me tell you today, and I'm talking to the young adults. Listen, listen, the kids in our generation have been exposed to so much. And they are so desensitized to these things. And they just accept everything that comes down the pike, so to speak. And here's the warning from the prophet, from the apostle. Don't get caught in it. 14th verse as we close this passage. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on. Get up every day and say, I'm going to put on Jesus. That means wherever I go. Come on, church family. Put him on. Put him on wherever I go. I want the fragrance of Christ. I know some of you get up in the morning and you put that cologne on or you put perfume on. And I know females put a lot of stuff in your hair. Matter of fact, when I come in the bathroom sometimes, Sister Sherry, there is a cloud going on in there. And I, I don't mean to be too hard on her, but I'm like, Sister Sherry, that cannot be good. You're breathing all that stuff in. And, but you know what? That's with her all day long when she puts it on. It's with her all day. We need to put on Jesus. We need to put him on, and he'll be with us all day long. 
Come on, we'll be mindful of him where we go, what we do, his fragrance. The Bible says that we are the fragrance of Christ. We'll have that sweet smell of his anointing. Get the anointing on you in the morning and you'll walk in the anointing all day long and you'll make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Quickly, we're going to read what the apostle Peter did. The apostle Peter, did he have anything to say? Well, just a few verses and then only one from John and then I'll be ready to close. But let me just drop these down in your spirit. Second Peter 3, we'll perhaps go through these very quickly in the 10th verse the apostle said but the day of the lord i need my glasses to read this but i don't need my glasses to read that but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night it's all going to change when he comes everything's going to change when he comes the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein they're going to be burned up i mean no there's a change coming I'm telling you, this earth, I think about this. Romans 8 tells us that the earth itself groans and travails, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. I think about the beauty of the structure, even our ecosystems, which are so gentle and, 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 and so delicate in essence. They're not always gentle, but they're delicate and they can be fractured. And, and we know we've got a lot of emphasis on going green and protecting the planet and all those things. And, and, but, but, but think about what the earth must have been like in the Genesis and how, how beautiful it was and how sustaining it was. You know, there's going to come a day when God's going to put it back to the way it was. Come on, he's going to put it back to the way it was and it's going to be beautiful and all the works that are therein are going to be burned up. Burned up. God destroyed the earth by water one time, but he's going to cleanse it by fire the second time. And so Peter said this, look at this. Remember what I said the text was, till he come, what should our response be? Seeing then that all these things are going to be dissolved. Everything's going to be changed then what manner of persons ought you to be? Shouldn't we live differently? Come on, what manner of people ought we to be in what holy conversation? Conversation in the Greek is actually lifestyle. Shouldn't our lifestyle be different, church family, and godliness? Read that 12th verse with me if we can. I think I asked you to post that one. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire, shall be dissolved and the elements shall be burnt with fervent heat. 13th and 14th to close the apostle Peter. Nevertheless, as we stated previously, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth what? Righteousness. Lastly here the apostle says, wherefore beloved, seeing that you look for, are you looking for such things? I'm asking that question today. Are you looking for such things? Then be what? Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And lastly, the Apostle John, one verse of Scripture. We'll read 1 John chapter 2, the 28th verse. It corresponds to what Peter summarized with, and I'll speak concerning this before we return to our text on communion. And now, little children, abide in him. I'm so thankful to be able to abide in him. By faith, it's not what I do, but it's who I am. It's what he's made me and it's what he's made you. I abide in him by faith. I trust in him. I continue to nourish, gain my nourishment. John 15 spoke about abiding in the vine. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch that abides in me. Come on, somebody. Don't you want to abide in him? I want to abide in him. That when he shall appear, he's going to appear one day. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know. It'll take a 
miraculous element for all eyes to see him. I don't know how it's going to be, what it's going to be like. The Bible uses figurative language perhaps when it says like the lightning flashes from the east to the west. I don't know how it's going to be. All I know is that he's going to appear one day. But he said this, that we may have confidence and not be ashamed and not be ashamed. How many know there's a little bit of warning and reproof and instruction contained in that exhortation? Not be ashamed before him at his coming. I don't want to be ashamed. My lifestyle, your lifestyle, who you are, what you do. God put the text together in such a way of the uncertainty of Jesus Christ and his return that it would be moving in our hearts to the degree that we would be sober and vigilant and watching. See, not to be ashamed before him at his coming. It, we are ashamed when we are caught unaware. You would be ashamed because you would be exposed. You would not be prepared or you would be doing or you would be something that you should not be. Let me ask you this. I want you to think this way for a moment. If a prominent person just shows up at your house, even the pastor, and we may not call him a prominent person, but he is unique in the context of the body of Christ. If the pastor just shows up at your house unannounced and the house is a train wreck, are y'all with me there? <laughs> Please don't show up at my house anytime soon. Without calling, I'll try to give you directions. But even the pastor, if he shows up at your house and it is a train wreck and dishes hadn't been washed in three days and the kids hadn't put anything away as they have the tendency to do, are y'all hearing me? And maybe there's even some personal entertainments that you uh, didn't want anybody to see that you were involved in and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. And you go there and you look out that little hole in your door and there's Parson Brown with or without his hat. How many know you might be ashamed? You might be. As a matter of fact, you just want to kind of keep him on the porch. Can I just talk to you here, Pastor, right now? The kids are kind of busy. I don't want you to come in. Well, what about if that prominent person, what if today, what if even the preacher said, what if I just said just kind of randomly and said, by the way, you know, uh, I've got a little time. I'm going to come by your house at 3 p.m. today. And I gave you a time. Almost everyone here today would go home and there'd be some sense of, you know what, let's got to clean the living room up. You'd have the kids going in the bedroom and you might not get every toy back in the toy box, but dare not open the closet at that particular moment because you might uh, have an avalanche come upon you, but you'd be running the vacuum cleaner and the dish. Are y'all hearing me today? Because you wouldn't want to be ashamed when somebody that you respect or that is prominent, if I can use that term respectfully, that when somebody that is prominent shows up, you don't want to be ashamed that they're coming. Well, here's the challenge for us. Jesus did not give us a day, and he did not give us a time. He just said, I'm coming. So you got to be ready. So we have an expectation. It's a constant spiritual preparedness, constant, a vigilant, the uncertainty of the timing of his return, coupled with the certainty of his judgment. Let me repeat that. It is so, uh, it, it, it needs to be said twice. 
the uncertainty of the timing of his return coupled with the certainty of his judgment should move us. It should move us to be sober, vigilant, and watching as we prepare to close today. Daryl's going to join me on the platform. Our ushers are going to prepare to pass out the communion emblems. In that passage of Scripture that we read as we return to 1 Corinthians 12, he said, till he comes. Till he comes. He's coming. I know not when. I just thank God for his promise. Whether we have another minute, another hour, another day, another week, another month, another year, another 10 years, or another 100 years, or another millennium. I do not know. But I know one thing. He's coming. He is coming. And we as the church of our generation need to live with an expectation that we embrace his coming by being salt and light and living a life that's pleasing to him. Giving him glory. That means we are diligent and we are watchful and we don't just go any such way. We make our decisions as we understand the revelation of Scripture. Come on now. Come on. We conform our lives to what we believe is his will for our lives. This passage here, let me read before we close for just a moment in this passage he said notice this they're going to begin to pass the communion emblems out and I'm going to finish my sermon as they do so real quickly from just looking to this passage just real quickly he said as often as you do this is what Jesus said as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me that's what Jesus said but Paul said Paul said this he said as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Now, until he comes, yes, till he comes. So each time we share, each time we share in communion, the reality is we are remembering his suffering. We do, we remember. And I think we all remember in our, come on, in our, as I say, the theater of our mind, you know, often you'll close your eyes and we don't know what Jesus' physical appearance looked like. We don't know, you know, what his characteristics were. We don't know whether his hair was dark, his eyes dark, or a big nose or small ears or a square jaw. or We don't know anything like that. But we all have an image in our mind of what we think he might be. And when we take of the emblems, we have some type of imagination where we think about him stretched high on the cross. We think about that crown of thorns piercing his brow and his hands and his feet pierced by the nails. We think about the wounds on his back and the blood that's flowing freely, as I've said many times, from seven fountains of blood opened on the cross that day. And we look back in remembrance. Anytime you remember something, you look back. You look back. Is that right? Stay with me. But what Paul said, though, Paul suggests that your active participation of remembering, you're actually showing something. You're actually, the word show there in the Greek means to announce it or proclaim it. 
So what's so odd is often we think of preachers preaching the cross. Paul said, you know, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And that's true, we do. But did you know when you hold that, that, that little piece of bread and when you hold that little cup, you're preaching a message just as rich theologically, just as visual, just as vibrant, just as historically accurate, and yet just as relevant as any sermon that has ever echoed out of the pulpit of First Assembly of God because you are showing his death. You're showing the world that he died on the cross that he spilled his blood, that he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, that the rocks did quake and the sun refused to shine, and a Roman centurion's voice would echo, truly, this man who died this day was the Son of God. When you hold that bread and take that cup, that message of the cross permeates again. It's fresh, it's real, it's vigilant, it's, it's alive, it's living, it's active. It's not a dead message. It's a message about death, but the message is not dead. It's a message about death, but it produces life. It's the message of the cross, and you're showing it, and you're proclaiming it, not just to the people in here, but to the people out there, because it marks you, because you're going to walk out of here differently than the way that you came in, because you took that cup, and you took of that bread, and you're going to continue to walk out of here and be a living epistle, written and read among men. My goodness, that's a good word today. That's a good word. How long are we going to break this bread? How long are we going to take this cup till he comes? Remember what he said to his disciples on that Passover night when he finished the supper? He said, I will eat this bread and drink this cup no longer until the day that I eat it and drink it with you again in the kingdom of my Father. Now this supper, as we call it, the Lord's Supper, this communion, as we call it, it always comes with a warning. It's wrong for us to take of it and not heed its warning. And in closing today, before you share in the bread and the cup, and make sure y'all bring the emblems to Daryl on the platform, if you would. One of you, Jared, if you would. Make sure y'all serve Daryl on the platform and those that are in the booth certainly as well today. But let us read in closing today. Let's go to the 27th verse. Before we take, let's read this. It would be wrong for me to stand in front of you today and preach about proclaiming the Lord's death without, without reading this passage of Scripture. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, look at this, and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 28th verse. Let's read it on down. But let a man examine himself. See, it's not my job to examine you. I don't, we don't practice a closed communion. We don't ask you, are you a member of the church? We've just taken it. It's up to you to decide. I don't want to examine you, but you've got to examine yourself. You've got to look within your heart. Are you really in the faith today? Is your heart really set fast, steadfast after Christ? Isn't it a time to know in whom you believed? And if not, now is the time. Now is that day. You can make your calling and election sure. This is the last time we will meet as a fellowship in 2015. But on this day, you may even be a visitor here today. You can make sure that you're ready for heaven as if you were already there just by looking inwardly and coming and committing your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read down in closing these last couple of passages real quickly. Here he said in the 29th, For if you eat and you drink unworthily, 
You eat and you drink damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. 30th verse. For this cause, here's a warning, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. 31st verse to conclude our scripture reading. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Till he comes, till he comes, till he comes. The passage that we read to start out with, the 26th verse, said when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Church family, I'm asking today, right where you're seated, right now, without outraised or upraised hand, without altar call coming forward, examine yourself. Can you take a moment to bow your head right where you are today? Can you take a moment to pray and ask the Lord? Can you take a moment to search inwardly and diligently? Can you take a moment today in the name of Jesus? Can you take a moment to pray and just search your heart and your mind? Can you take a moment? Can you take a moment today? This is between you and God. This is between you and the Lord. I can lead you in a prayer, but you know how to approach God. Come to him right now. If there's sin in your heart, sin in your life, sin in your mind, in your spirit right now, make things right. Make things right between the Lord today. Make things right. I always just like to give people their own personal time. I'm not going to walk you through it. I'm just going to let you pray. Till he come. Don't be ashamed of him at his coming. By partaking of this bread, partaking of this cup, you're examining yourself. The conditions on the outside here today are not necessarily conducive. But what about the conditions of your heart? What about your spirit today? Are you at peace with God? Have you repented of your sins before the Lord? Have you turned to Christ? I think in the church we've, we've failed to give people a clear presentation of the gospel. But we've been breaking bread and sharing this cup for three weeks now. We've proclaimed to you the gospel. This is your moment. This is your hour. This is your time. Jesus died on that cross for you. If you would have been the only person living he would have still died. He would have still shed his blood. He would have still given his body in sacrifice for you. Today, in your heart, take of him. Before you break this bread, before you take of this cup, partake by faith. Partake in humility. Partake in repentance. Partake in belief in his body and his blood on the cross. Examine yourself. I'll shut this microphone off for just a moment to allow you to have that personal prayer time. And I'll pray myself and I'll search deep and inwardly in my own heart today.